Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Twenty-two years ago today, we had a life-changing experience. Our second child was born. And on this day, 22 years ago, we went from playing zone defense to man-on-man defense. If you have more than one kid, you know exactly what I mean. It goes from being able to attack, well, no, y'all had twins from the start, never mind, y'all don't know what I mean. But it goes from one person being able to handle, or two people being able to handle one kid to to two parents, and one parent has one kid, and it's constant, and it's nonstop. And Morgan and Bennett were so close together where, where we were constantly having to work. But it's interesting that on that day, it wasn't Easter then. In fact, I think this is the first time your birthday has fallen on Easter, correct? <laughs> I think it is. Um, it doesn't happen very often because Easter isn't the same date every year, right? And it's, uh, it's according to the moon and all of that stuff. So anyway, it wasn't on Easter, but that day was an unbelievable life-changing day. New life was brought into our family. And that new life changed everything, and it changed the trajectory of how we lived our lives. Well, today, we are going to look at this idea of new life and how the new life that God offers us is not unlike inviting a new life into your family, except this new life changes everything. Literally everything. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with us to Matthew 28, and we're going to look at uh, the first section that talks about the resurrection, and then we're going to look at the Great Commission. You can follow on the screen or on a smart device. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven And came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Isn't that ironic? Maybe I'm using that word wrong. Sometimes I get irony messed up. But the living guards were guarding the dead body. And then the dead body was alive, and the living guards became as if they were dead. Do you see what happened there? I think that's brilliant. I think God did that just so that we could smile at it and go, that's, that's pretty funny. That these guards who were guarding the tomb with their life, and the reason why they were guarding their tomb with their life was because they had been told, look, the disciples might come in and try to steal the body. Because... We heard them say something about him raising from the dead. We heard Jesus say that he was going to raise from the dead. So we need to seal that tomb and put guards in front of it to make sure no one comes and steals the body and then claims that he's some powerful, all-powerful being that raised from the dead. We don't want that to happen. But as if, as it is, I guess, with all of us, when... When we try to stifle what God wants to do, there is no stifling it in the end. That ultimately, he's going to move stones. 
and he's going to resurrect new life. And so these guards who were set there to protect the tomb from someone stealing the body didn't realize that the body was raised, and in their fear, they became the ones who were dead. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said he would. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you this thing. Verse 8, so the The women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. I can imagine both, right? Fear, because they just encountered an angel. Now, it's funny that this is the only place in Matthew where angels appear. Every other place in Matthew, when an angel appears, it's in a dream to a human. Not this time. This is an angel in their presence. This isn't a dream. This isn't some fog they're in. This isn't a vision. This is an angel in front of them. I think that's significant. I think it's significant because it's a symbol of the power of God now being made manifest in reality. Before, these messengers were dreams. Now, the messenger is alive and breathing and in their presence. Jesus was a dead body, but now he's alive and whole and going to be in their presence. It's a powerful inclination or uh, insight into what's about to happen. So the women departed quickly from the, uh, from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. <laughs> this is kind of funny. I mean, he's, he's the resurrected Jesus And they're running out of the garden. He's like, yo, what's up? I mean, this is their word for hello or hey, hey. It's so common and regular and every day. I don't know about you, but if I just resurrected from the grave and I saw my good friends, I'd be like, look at this. How awesome is this? Yeah. Give me a high five. He was like, yo, what's up? How y'all doing? And they came and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Even though his greeting was simple, their response becomes an example for us. When you encounter this powerful risen Christ, we fall at his feet and worship. He's larger, he's greater, he's more significant than us. He's the one who is worthy of our attention and our worship. Nothing else and no one else. And so the first people to encounter the risen Christ give us an example of how our our response should look. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. That's twice now. The angel told them that, and Jesus tells them the same thing. Go go tell the disciples that they're going to meet me in Galilee. Go up there and wait for me there. Why do you think, why do you, this is not rhetorical. You can answer this. Let's get some answers here. Why do you think that the message comes twice? Once through an angel and now through Jesus. 
Yes, so that's a great point. So it's like, hey, let me remind you what you're doing. I know you just saw this dead body now alive, so let me remind you what you were going to do. Because what they could have done is just run in there and go, oh my gosh, we just saw Jesus and we fell down and worshipped him and he was really him. We saw him in the tomb before, but then this angel showed I mean, they could have gotten into that whole story and forgotten the message. So it's a reiteration of what he wants from his disciples. Anything else you can think of? Why? twice. Why once on the angel's lips and now on Jesus' lips? Let me ask this. This might, this might spark a thought in your mind. What does angel mean? Messenger, okay? And where's this messenger from? Well, it's a messenger specific, specific, specifically from God, the Father, right? So angel is a messenger from the Father. And so now Jesus shows up and he says the same thing. So what's significant about that? So Jesus and the Father are one. It's a reminder that what Jesus has been through is the will of the Father. That this is what the Father wanted all along. It's a reminder that this isn't just some weird thing that happened. This has been the plan all along. And it's to ground it again in earthly reality. You heard from this, earth, this heavenly being to go do this. Now I'm telling you to go do it. And it's focusing on this encounter that they're going to have in Galilee. Now, that's important because what's going to happen in Galilee is one of the most significant things that Jesus ever said. So he is directing, almost like with a microscope, the focus of his followers to what's going to happen in Galilee. So then you ask, well, what does happen in Galilee? That's where we go to verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples, guess what they did? They went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. This is kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, you see this resurrected Jesus, you are told to go to Galilee, you're anticipating this, you hear the story that the women tell about how they encountered Jesus, I mean, encountered the angel, didn't see Jesus' body, and then they encounter Jesus, and so this whole buildup is there, and go to Galilee because he's coming, and he shows up, and they're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it means that kind of doubt. What kind of doubt could it mean then? It's not that they doubted their senses. It's not that they doubted that that was Jesus. Perhaps they could have doubted his response. They couldn't believe what? They couldn't believe that, that, he, that he had resurrected. It was an unbelievable construct in their mind. A body is dead and now it's alive. It was unbelievable in that sense, yes, but I think their doubt had a lot to do with how is he going to respond to me. So the last time we saw the 11 disciples that were left now, what were they doing? What were they doing? Running. They were hiding. 
They abandoned him. At his worst hour, they scattered. Kind of like when you turn on the light. If that happens in your home, see me afterwards. I've got just the person to talk to. Turn on the light, scatter. When Jesus gets arrested, everybody runs. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? What, what is happening here? And if he told us to meet him there and we come and he shows up and we show up and we're like, okay, what happens now? They, they had no idea of where this thing was going. And so they doubted. They doubted his response. They doubted what he was going to ask them to do. They were a little bit hesitant. But Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, that's a very important sentence, an extremely important sentence. In fact, without understanding that sentence, we can't understand the rest of what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The word authority in the Greek actually means the power to accomplish and the authority to do it. So it's not authority like we think of, like, oh yeah, he's large and in charge, but it's the power and the authority. So Jesus is saying, look, all of the power of heaven is now at my hands. All of the authority that rests in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, I now have that authority. Therefore, and every time you see therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's only one straight up verb in all of that second half of Jesus's three-sentence speech. It's make disciples. Make disciples. So let's read that together then with this first thought. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So all the power and all the authority has been given to me. Therefore, this is what I want you to do. With that power and authority, I want you to go make disciples. Not go make little perfect Christians who show up on Sunday and wear the right clothes and say the right things. Amen. He says, go and make disciples. Disciples are people who are learning and doing and growing. They are in relationship with their master. A disciple isn't a disciple in and of themselves. A disciple has to have a rabbi. There has to be someone that teaches them. Disciples weren't just walking around going, yo, I'm a disciple, what's up? They had to have a rabbi. The only way you could be a disciple is if you had a leader, a rabbi over you. So what Jesus is saying, now that all authority and all power is given to me, now go and make me more disciples. Let me be their rabbi. Teach them what it means to follow me. You've been following me for three years. Now show them the things that I've shown you. Are you going to mess up? Yes, you've already denied me. You've already run away. You've already, you've already 
failed the test. And you're going to fail it again. But that doesn't mean you don't stop. That means you keep going. It is a long process. It is a lifelong process. It's a process of relationship and becoming more and more like our rabbi, Jesus. So his whole point is, look, I'm giving you all power and authority. And with that power and authority, I want you to go make disciples. Invite other people into this process of becoming more like me, of being in relationship with with me, of serving the poor, of reaching out to the least of these, loving the unlovable, of showing love instead of hate, unity instead of division. Go and be like me. The other interesting thing about this in the original language is we translate it go, but a better translation of that is as you are going. Or those of you who are going. Now that's an odd structure and an odd sentence for us. So this is what I think it means. As you go about your daily life, make disciples. Wherever you walk, wherever you go, whatever, whatever climate you, invite, uh, you uh, find yourself in, whatever, whatever situation you end up in, where, whether it's work or your neighborhood or your, your group of friends or whether it's some, I don't know, some other group that you're a part of, wherever you go, whatever you are doing, as you go, make disciples. Live your life in such a way that people see what it looks like to have me as their rabbi. Live like me, and as you live like me in all these different areas of your life, you're going to start making disciples. You're going to allow people to see what it looks like. And that was his message. It's the greatest message that he's given us. It's our commission, just like it was the commission for the disciples. He is telling us, just like he told his disciples, As you go live your life, live for Christ and let him make disciples through you. And the promise there is that he's with us through this whole process to the end of the age. I am with you always. So it's not us, it's his Holy Spirit in us that's doing it. It's his power and his authority. It's his spirit. And don't you like the Trinitary nature of this passage? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all involved. And they all come to bear in our lives. And they say, just be in relationship with me. Become more like me. And wherever you go, you're going to sow seeds of what it looks like. You don't have to try It just happens. You've heard me say this before if you've been around long enough. That evangelism or making disciples or whatever it is you want to call it. That is a byproduct of your personal relationship with Christ. You will do that the more you become like him. The more you become like your rabbi, the more you will impact those around you. Period. You don't, have to, you don't have to build a 10,000-seat stadium sanctuary and have 
a band and a laser show and smoke-filled stuff to do that. You don't have to go to seminary and learn everything there is to know about the Greek and the Hebrew. I'm the idiot that did that. Just ask me the questions. You don't have to, you don't have to memorize scripture and know the Bible backwards and forwards. You don't even have to read it and understand it. You just have to be like Jesus. It's not about a book. It's about a man who was dead but now is alive. That resurrection power that rolled away the tomb and that lifted Jesus off that stone and that breathed new life in him, that power is still available. That resurrection power is the power that he holds in his hands now. And it's that power that he gives to us for new life. He's rolled away your stone. He's rolled away your stone. And he's just saying, get up. Twenty-two years ago today, Morgan was born. And our lives forever changed. And he brought beauty and love in a way that we had never experienced before, because Bennett's a jerk. (laughs) And through Morgan, she opened our eyes to a different way of thinking. I grew up with two brothers. I knew nothing about girl stuff. Like, I don't even have hair, so how do you even begin to braid it? I don't know these things. But when Morgan came into our life, it was a whole new way of life for us, and it was awesome. It was absolutely amazing. Brother, I don't know how you do it, but, you know, because girls are special. Guys are special. Girls are different. And when Morgan came into our life, it was just different. 22 years ago, this new life, and now she stands on the precipice of leaving college and starting a new life again. And as she moves from college to what's next, there's a lot of unknowns. There's going to be starts and fits. There's going to be stumbles. There's going to be mishaps and misdirections. And all of that stuff she's going to go through. But Morgan, that's just like discipleship. You're going to start one direction and go, oh, yeah, I don't need to go down that path. I'm going to head this, oh, no, that's not the right way. You don't have to have it figured out. There's only one thing you need. It's this passage. Whatever you do, I don't care. As long as... As you go, you make disciples, that you live your life in the beauty of Christ. And I'm sharing that with you now because I won't get to share that with you before you graduate. And I share that with you now in front of everybody to invite you into what real life is about. 
I really don't care what she does next. And she has a lot of opportunities out there. As long as she goes with Christ, making him her rabbi and living for him and his glory. And you can, I don't care what you do, as long as you do that, you will impact this world for generations. And that goes for all of you. That goes for graduating seniors. It goes for those who are starting new careers. It goes for all of you guys. I know there's a pressure to get it figured out, but here's the deal. It's not so much about what you do, but who you do it with. And Christ is saying, let my new life lead you. Let my new life lead you. As you go, go with me and watch what I do with you. And that is the power of Easter. It changes everything. It gives us new power, a new life, a new mission. And that's for all of you. So whether you're a doctor or an engineer, whether you own your own business, whether you sit in a cubicle or have a corner office, whether you stand in front of a green screen from time to time or whether you stand in front of a class of children, whether you're cutting logs and shipping them or putting them together to build something, whether you're dreaming up new concoctions to sell that's caffeinated or, I love you by the way, in a deep way. Or whether you're leading a nonprofit, whatever you do, as you go, go with Christ. As you go, become more like Him. As you go, go in His Spirit because His power and His authority has been given not only to Him, but is available to you. Go, make. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.